Uh, I'm so glad that you're here this morning with us, uh, whether you've been here for a long time or if you're new or visiting and this is your first time, uh, I wanna say welcome. We, we are just, uh, we're ready to worship a God who, who made us and loves us and, and we love celebrating Jesus. That's the whole point of coming here today, uh, to be reminded of who God is and what he's done and what he will do. And so if you are new, I, I, my name's Andy, I'm one of the pastors, I'd love to meet you. I'll be out there in the lobby this morning. And I wanna welcome everybody who is watching online right now. Thanks for making us a part of your day and your journey with God, wherever that is. Uh, and so we're going to worship today, and uh, we're in a, a great study together in the book of Judges. We're going to be uh, seeing the, the next chapter of that this morning as well. So, uh, and I know that there is something for everyone here. I know God has something for all of you uh, and myself today. So with that, I'm going to stand us up, and I'm going to get us ready to worship. I'm going to read something about God. Here's what it says in Zephaniah 3. I love what he says. He says this about God, about our God. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. He's in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. And that's, that's my hope today is that we come to a God who does all of those with, with the loud singing ourselves. Amen, everybody. So let's worship God today. Welcome to River Ridge Church. We're glad you're here. Before I fell into the darkness, you were. 
all we need today. We're thankful that you're here. We come to worship you in you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus. my head. 
there is one who's strong hard pressed on each side we will not lose sight of the one who's greater amen one name one name holds every victory one voice that silences the enemy one king who reigns for all eternity jesus jesus on the battlefield your power is
victory is yours. Sing that church, the battle is. you here today. I don't know what you came in with, but I feel a burden to share that the victory is the Lord's. In your heart, wherever you are, whatever you are going through, have no doubt, have no fear, give them to him because why? The victory is his in the name of Jesus. Anyone need to say amen to that? I needed to say amen to that today. Man, I was worshiping. Usually I try to get behind it in enough time. I ran out of time because I didn't want to stop saying with all of you. I just felt something moving in here today. I always do. I feel like the Lord's speaking to so many people right here this morning with his victory. We need to not just believe it. We need to live in it, everybody. You hear me? Live in that victory that is yours because he owns that victory. He, nothing could take that away. Amen? Yes. Good worship with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good worship with you. Let's, let's thank God one more time for that victory. Yes, yes. Awesome. Love it. All right, everybody can go ahead and, and have a seat. We're gonna continue worshiping this morning uh, as I know that God is in this place, that, that he is speaking. And, and uh, man, I just, I pray that we are receptive to that today, but we're gonna continue worshiping through uh, giving back to him and we give back our time and our energy and our resources. Uh, and so this is a time uh, for, for those of us who do call River Ridge home to, to take a minute and be thankful for what God has given us. Everything is his and we give back. And so many of you partner with us uh, when you give back to the kingdom to help us do and accomplish what God wants uh, to be done in this community. And you are part of this community changing for Christ. And I thank you so much for your partnership. Uh, and today also is Dollar Club Sunday. And so if you don't know what that is, uh, we challenge everybody to just give one extra dollar a month, one extra dollar a month. And we pull those uh, extra dollars all together. And we wanna just go out there in the community and bless people and organizations in the name of Jesus Christ who are doing good things and great work and they just need help or assistance. And so we wanna be a part of that as well. And uh, so if you want to designate one extra dollar, you can do that through check. You can do it online. You can give one extra dollar in the uh, boxes on your your way out. Uh, and if you do have uh, a, a check or, or cash, you can just drop that off uh, later or uh, when the service is over on your way out. Uh, because today we're going to continue worshiping. We're going to show you uh, the, the dollar club for June and, and where those dollars went today. Thanks for being here. We're going to watch the dollar club. So James, thanks for uh, sitting down with me and just sharing a little bit of your story and what goes on around here. But so start with, with yourself. What, uh, tell me about this church and, and what you do here. 
Well, um, this is Rehoboth Cathedral of Christ. Our senior pastor is Bishop Carter, First Lady Mother Carter. Those are the, the, the leaders of this church. Um, I am one of the elders here. I'm an associate pastor. And what I do is praise and worship. I preach. I assist the ministry as much as I can uh, for the edifying of Christ and for the betterment of our community. And so this church is kind of right in the heart of the west side. Like, what, is, what does ministry look like to your community around you? Well, our ministry is consistency. We, we continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, reaching um, the lost. As far as the community, uh, it's been a challenge, um, somewhat difficult, but this area needs a church. Yeah. We, we need a church right here on Main Street. So you all have kind of faced some challenges. Tell us a little bit about kind of the things that have happened to your building. It's, yes. That's tough. It's been cumbersome um, from uh, damaged roof. Um, part of it is wear and tear, and majority of it is vandalism. The, the building has suffered so much vandalism as far as uh, puncturing holes through uh, a roof, um, busting windows out, just just really um, running havoc on the building. And and there's even a, somebody living here, kind of squatting in the church? Absolutely. According to what the um, police had told us, the gentleman went to the steeple area and there was uh, clothes and, and uh, I believe a blanket and he was staying there. Not sure how he got in. Uh, I know there were some busted windows and plywood that we had uh, boarded up some windows, and uh, those were crowbarred off um, because so much, so many of the things were desecrated. Um, the, the the individual came in and was eating the communion bread and drinking the communion wine and turned over the podiums and he was just in everything and and, and if anyone ever experienced uh, a break in, you never feel safe. You feel vandalized. Things are not where you left it. Things are missing. And you go back and forth and it just troubles you. But the peace of God had flooded our hearts and our minds and gave us peace. And thanks be to God, the Lord has um, blessed us thus far. We haven't had any, any issues yeah. since. Yeah. So one of the things that we do at River Ridge Church um, is we have uh, something that we call the Dollar Club, right? And so uh, once a month we ask all the folks to just give an extra dollar, an extra couple dollars, uh, and then we look for a place uh, in the community where we can be a blessing as a congregation to, to somebody else. Um, and so today I brought with me a check um, for you and the church for $4,561. And this is for you to fix this place up after the vandals have left. Uh, wow. Wow, I'm speechless. <laughs> um, God bless you. And uh, this ministry that has sold into us, I, I am just uh, speechless. I didn't see this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good. We just are thrilled to come alongside you. Love what yes. you're doing here. Yes. Um, and you know, when one you know when one part of the body suffers, the rest suffers. And yes. so I kind of feel like we suffer along with you, but at the same time, we can be a blessing and, and to help out in this small way to get you guys heading in the right direction. Yes. So. Oh, th this certainly will 
um, help us get to where we need to be to do uh, the ministry in excellence as God has uh, commissioned us to do. God bless you. And I thank you, Rehoboth Cathedral of Christ and Bishop Carter, uh, First Lady uh, Carter. We all love you and thank you, not just because of this, but because you have sh you share the burden with us. Yeah, that's pretty cool, yeah. Ah, we love Dollar Club around here for sure. Well, good morning. Glad you guys are joining with us today, whether you're online or you're in the room today on this July 10th, which just happens uh, to be my son's birthday. So if you see my son Jonah around today, you can wish him happy birthday. Uh, if you are a guest, you have no idea who Jonah is, but... You also have no idea who I am. So I am Blair, I'm one of the pastors here, um, and we are so glad that you have joined us at this week. We are dead in the center of a series where we are walking through the book of Judges, as Andy mentioned earlier. We're gonna be in chapter six today, but we are walking through each of the Judges as we go. Uh, today, just to give you an idea, we're gonna spend a lot more time just reading the scripture and letting it speak for itself. I'll give a few notes as we go, um, and and then at the end, I'm just gonna give you really, really quickly a couple of action points we can take. But we're gonna get right into it really fast. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges 6, and I'm gonna start reading in verse one here. Here we go. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or even donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in numbers. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for the help of the Lord. The state of the Israelites right here, we find them again, isn't very good. But in the very first verse, we can see why that's a result of. We can see that the reason they were in this situation is that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Specifically, they were worshiping other gods. They didn't denounce God necessarily. They didn't walk away from Yahweh. What they did was they just added other gods to it. Like if they wanted to get pregnant, they would, they would offer up a sacrifice to the God of fertility. Or if they wanted, um, they would offer up a sacrifice to the God of commerce if they wanted their business to be successful. And it was way more gray in this situation than it was black and white. Um, which is a lot harder to really recognize the fact that they had added in these other gods. But because of their evil, God gave them over to the Midianites. And now we find ourselves with the Israelites full cycle all over again. Because last week, Andy left us where the people of Israel were actually experiencing the salvation and the peace of God after the victory of Deborah and Barak. And in fact, if you look at the last verse in chapter five, verse 31, it says, and the land had rest, or, and the land was at peace. One verse later, we find ourselves, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the cycle continues over again. 
people, the Israelites, become oppressed. They cry out for help. God rescues them, like last week it was through the judge Deborah. After that judge dies, the people return to doing evil, and then God gives them back over to the oppression as a result. Now this oppression that they're experiencing is pretty devastating uh, that we see here. The Midianites didn't necessarily want to have political control over them. What they wanted to do was they were just pillaging anything they wanted from the Israelites, which was basically everything they had. The Israelites felt so defeated that they would go and hide in caves on the mountains because they, they, and, and just watch it happen because they were too scared to do anything about it. But we see that it got to such a point that Israel even gets to the point where they're crying out from help, for help from God. All right, verse seven, let's keep reading. Verse seven, it says, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. God takes a slight detour from his normal cycle over the, what, what we've been looking at here. He doesn't immediately send them a rescuer, but instead he sends a messenger. It says he sends a prophet with a message. Basically, he sends the people a sermon. This sermon that he sends is very specific. If the prophet was handing out sermon guides like we do around here, it would have two notes on it. One, it would say what God did, and two, it would say what the Israelites did. See, the Israelites knew, they knew they were hungry and that they were oppressed, but that doesn't mean they understand, understood what got them into the situation that they were in. God was faithful, but the Israelites didn't obey, and they continue, keep continuing the cycle that keeps getting them into the mess that they're in here. All right, let's read on. Verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds and our father, that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. All right, God is ready now. He's ready after he sends his messenger. He's ready to end the cycle here. He wanted to make sure that the people knew that they needed what, they, what they needed rescued from. Not just the oppression of the Midianites, but from themselves, from the evil that keeps putting them back in this place. God said, the problem isn't only the Midianites. It's that you don't obey my voice. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Their main problem that they had was a trust issue. So God lovingly points this out to them. 
Now, if you know how this story ends with Gideon, or you recognize Gideon's name from one of the people that are in the heroes of the faith that we find in the book of Hebrews, but don't know where he started, this is significant and it's helpful for us. See, Gideon wasn't the, the, this, this great man of faith just waiting for his time or his opportunity to jump in. He was a pretty scared dude. In fact, we can see it in lots of different ways. First, we can find it out just from looking at where we find him in the story because people threshing wheat don't do it in a wine press. The threshing floor is up on top of the mountain. They go up there because that allows them to get the wind involved. The way wheat is threshed, from what I understand now, is that they throw it up in the air and then the, so that the wind can separate the chaff from the wheat. The chaff gets blown away and the wheat would be left. But Gideon here doesn't want to be seen by the Midianites. So he's hiding from them in a wine press so they don't take his wheat or actually harm him. Second, as soon as the Lord calls him to this task, he starts with the but. But I'm the weakest, I'm the weakest, I'm the least, I'm the weakest of the weakest even. Third, we know about Gideon is that he keeps asking for sign after sign that God is actually telling him to do the task. And we'll see them in a bit as we keep reading through the story here. But Gideon doesn't start out as this mighty man of faith. And I really like that God puts these guys in the Bible for, for me to read thousands of years later. Guys who are average, or in, or in Gideon's case, are actually kind of really below average. I mean, listen to the way he's talking right here. He's depressed, he's dejected, he's hiding in the mountains. Really, he doesn't believe that God is even for them. And I can find myself there at times. And I know in conversations that I've had with River Ridgers that who place themselves there at times, who look around and say, where is God? The stuff that we've been witnessing over the last bunch of years, the wars, the fighting, the persecution of the church, the ever-increasing decline of morality, the fact that parents have to talk to their kids about things at younger and younger ages. Gideon is looking at his own life and he's saying, where is God? God doesn't care about us. Look what's happening around us. We are daily dealing with the fact that God, doesn't, that God isn't with us. And Gideon here, he's only seeing misery. They don't have food. They're hiding in the mountains. They live hungry and scared. And yet twice when we read this, the angel of the Lord actually calls this guy mighty. First, he calls him, oh, mighty man of valor. And then later he tells him, go in this might of yours and save Israel. I love this story because God takes the weak, and weak to humble the strong. But also because he knows the potential of what the weak humble can do when they trust God. Almighty men of valor. Gideon didn't believe any of that was true of him. How can I save anything? I'm the weak one. So God calls Gideon to the task. Not only have I not forsaken you, Gideon, but I'm going to use you to accomplish this mission. But he poses it as, as a question almost. Didn't I send you? You are there. What are you doing about this situation? And so Gideon responds in verse 17. 
And he says, and he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from me here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into the house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from the ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terabith and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on the rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Yahweh Shalom, which is the Lord is peace. To this day it still stands at Ophir, which belongs to the Abyssalites. Now this is the first time that but not the last that Gideon is going to ask for a sign or some reassurance of God. God, in his great grace, provides the sign. I think because God knew how much Gideon needed it. God was going to use this weak and faithless man for big things. And I believe just like Jesus says later to us, ask, seek, knock, and if you do it with the right heart, then you will find the answer that you need. God is doing that for Gideon right here. Gideon all of a sudden realizes that he is speaking with the Lord and, and, and face to face at that. So he becomes very scared. But God comforts him in exactly the way he needs it in that moment. Side note here, many scholars believe that this person of the Trinity was the Son of God. Jesus himself. And we know that there is a before Jesus and there is an after Jesus, but when someone comes face to face with Jesus, those two are never the same again. Let's read on in verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take that second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside of it was cut down and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has. Then the men of town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because it was his altar that has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. So God's first task for Gideon is to get rid of the evil. Crazy enough, 
This isn't just within the larger group of the Israelites that he's calling him to do this. Gideon must remove it from his very own house. His own home wasn't one that was filled with faithful obedience and worship to God. See, in this case, God didn't send a rescuer who was holy and a devout man, but he needed to clean the man up first. He said, get rid of the statues in your dad's house. Now, here's the thing. I do know that when someone meets Jesus, things are different. But I also know it's not always all at once either. Because here we are with our mighty man of valor, and he's scared to death of his dad and the other man that he waits till nighttime to even do the job. Right? Oh God, I'm gonna do it. Okay, I'm gonna do it. Okay, but I'm gonna do it in secret so no one knows I'm doing it. But Gideon does do it, and it turns out that it doesn't help that he does it at night anyway because the people figured out it was him. And neatly, dad steps in to kind of protect him. Does Baal need you to defend him? If he's a god, let him defend himself. He doesn't need you. The men here, we find, are persuaded by this, and they let Gideon be, but they gave Gideon a nickname, Jerob Baal. And as one commentator says, this is really cool, with that name, Gideon became a living, walking reminder of Baal's lack of power. I really like that. Verse 33, let's keep reading. Now, all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and they encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abyssalites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali and they went up to meet him. So Gideon's ready for the task, all right? Now he's sounded the call to all the men to come and fight. And as we will find out later, 32,000 men answered the call. That's awesome, really awesome. And it does sound awesome until you find out that the Midianites and the Amalekites had about 135,000. So then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a whole bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, okay, okay, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just one more time. Please let me test you just once more with the fleece. But this time, let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. See, our mighty man of valor needs a little bit more help here, and so Gideon needs a little bit more convincing, so he asked for another sign, which God provides it. He said, just to make doubly sure here, let's do that again, but let's do it the opposite way this time. Just so I really know. I mean, if that's the natural way of things, if like really like fleece gets wet and everything else gets dry, I don't want to jump into this situation before I know. And God provides it again for him. Now, I, I wouldn't, as a pastor, encourage this way of testing God, okay? In fact, Jesus says definitively that we should not test God. But we also live in a different point in history than did Gideon. 
See, we have some things that Gideon didn't have. We have God's word that we can read and study and know the directions. We have the church which Jesus so graciously set up for us to help have other people who care about us and that can help us know God's plan for us. And we also have the Holy Spirit living within us and, and that can point us to where we need to go. Gideon is taking this massive step here without all the resources that we've already been given. And again, I think this more here has to do about God's loving and patient character more than anything. But in this very moment, God allowed Gideon these tests and God patiently and graciously provided the answers that Gideon needed. All right, into chapter seven now. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Okay, so Gideon and his 32,000 men are looking down on the army of 135,000 soldiers, and they're like, oh my, I don't think we got the dudes for this battle. What are we gonna do? God gives them an answer here. Check out God's answer to this. Verse two. The Lord said to Gideon, the people you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. <laughs> lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and only 10,000 remained. Too many? Gideon must be looking at this and like, what are we talking about here? We're already outnumbered four to one. But God knew something. He knew the, the heart of the man that we are prideful, he, and he wanted them to know who he was. So he says, let all the scared guys go. So 22,000 took off. Which is really kind of funny because I'm a little more surprised about the 10,000 who stayed, right? Like you're looking down at 135,000 and you're thinking, uh-oh. These guys seem like the crazy ones to me, honestly. But God has changed the difference from four to one to now it's 13 to one. Verse four, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. <laughs> Boy, take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lap, putting their hands to their mouths was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go every man to his own home. So the people gave them their provisions and then they took off and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below in the valley. The people are still too many. <laughs> it's now 400 to one. So to give an idea here, so for the Israelites to win this, each one of the Israelites are going to have to kill 400 other men. Just to give you a clue, 
there's probably about 300 of us in here right now. So add another 100 to that, and you gotta take down everybody. And they had to do this 300 times over. That's impossible odds. Verse 39, or verse nine. I'm sorry, verse nine. That same night the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, <laughs> go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against them. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of East lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I had a dream, I, I dreamed a dream, and behold, it was a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to a tent and struck it so that it fell, and it turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Arise, it's time to fight. You're gonna go up against the really, really big army with your tiny, tiny little army. But if you're scared, you can do this. Gideon jumped up on that offer. He's like, okay, I'm scared. I'm going down to hear what's going on. And I really find it neat this time that Gideon didn't even ask for the sign. But God offered it to him, this assurance before he even asked. Verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of this dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and he said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in their hands and all of them in empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon now has all he needs to obey, but the first thing he does is worship. How mighty and wonderful are you, God? How patient and glorious are you, God? You are sovereign over all. You control the dreams of men. Your plans can't be thwarted, even from scared and faithless rescuers like me. You will overcome all odds. Gideon knew who God was now. Now Gideon is ready. So he gives the weapons to his warriors. No M16s, no rocket launchers, no Apaches. They don't even get knives or swords. They have a horn, a jar, and a candle. <laughs> I have no idea what these 300 men are thinking, but my guess is, why didn't we go with the other 30,000? So guys, this dude is getting crazier as we stay with him. Why are we still here? Verse 19. So Gideon and the 100 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. 
when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth, you can read that yourself in your head, I'm not gonna read that, towards Zerah, as far as the border of abel Maholah by Tabith, and the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh and they pursued after Midian now the dream had probably spread through the camp the news of Gideon tearing down altars to Baal had probably spread the men had become fearful and when the trumpets blew at the changing of guard the Midianites were so confused and so scared in that that moment that they started attacking each other in the dark not even realizing it wasn't Gideon's army, but their own friends. I love, after all of that, after all that dividing down from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300, after all that, the Bible doesn't even record that any of the 300 men who stayed killed a single man. They blew horns, they smashed jars, they held candles. Maybe they did actually use their swords, I don't know, but God didn't want them to fall back into their evil ways and forget who he was. So he set the deck so impossible that they would know that they couldn't do it, but that God loves them, and that God is present, and that God is still for them. Gideon's a regular dude just like me and you. But God takes this regular dude and through his power does some amazing things to rescue his people. This story isn't in the Bible for us to marvel at Gideon. Marvel at God, yes, for sure. Marvel at God for who he is, yes. But also, I believe, to recognize that God has purposes for his people. Collectively, at a church, as a church, the big C church, 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, but also individually for each of us. We ask the question, where and how are we going to be his ambassadors? The calling is there for each of us. And two weeks ago, I was reminded about this calling for my own life. See, we just got back from a, a team who went to Germany and we were sharing the gospel message with so many. And I was reminded and I was reinvigorated to my own calling that's on my life. And the time we spent as a in, in Germany just sharing this message and as a result, I feel compelled to challenge you to your calling. So with the last few minutes that we have here this morning, I wanna give you five action steps, real quick, just for you to write down in order to respond to God. Five things that we need to do in order to follow after God's calling on our lives. And you can just write them down and then look at them later. But number one, 
the first thing we need to do is to eliminate distractions. Gideon was distracted by just going through the motions. He was just threshing wheat in a wine press, going about his every day. God has left us. We don't, it doesn't matter. We don't even see him anymore. And they had got to this place that they were mixing God in with other things too. Other idols had started to come into this place. And he was starting to live in the gray way more. We should be able to ask the question, what is God saying? See, God's word is not a rule book to follow, but it's a voice to hear. If you don't know what God is saying, it's probably because you're distracted, because God himself is not silent. And we need to be able to create a place, we need to find a place in our life where we are not distracted so we can hear from God. So we have to first, we have to eliminate distractions. Number two, we need to eliminate excuses. As soon as Gideon heard the call, after he was not distracted, he heard the call, he started with, but, 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 but I'm the weakest. I'm the weakest of the weakest. I can't do anything like this. And so then we need, we've got a question that we can ask here of this situation. What is the enemy saying to me right now? Because the enemy says a lot when, when God starts to call us. The enemy tries to lie and to convince us of the other way. It's been that way since the very beginning. You can go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, did God really say not to? Did God really say? And so the excuses start to happen in our ears and we start to say, but, 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 but. But in order to be able to follow after God's call, we have to eliminate our distractions. We have to eliminate our excuses and then we need to eliminate fear. Gideon was terrified with the numbers. Now, there's no question about it. He kept asking for ways out. Give me more signs. Give me more signs. Give me more signs. See, fear tries to set in when God calls. Maybe we don't really know what our fear is, so we need to ask the question, what am I afraid of? Because fear is one of the greatest enemies to respond to the call. But we must respond with faith not fear. Faith in the truth that God says about himself. We eliminate distractions. We eliminate excuses. We eliminate the fear. And then number four, we eliminate ignorance. Taking a step of faith doesn't mean we, get, we step out in total ignorance. There are things that need to be done and need to be figured out as we get ready to take this step. And so we ask ourselves the question, what are the facts? What, 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 what can I know about this? Recently, my wife um, took a step of faith into a new career. But we needed to see what we were up against. We needed to see what we were up against educationally or financially or spiritually or schedulely. I don't to make up words, but you get the point. Schedule yeah. And it's okay to know what you're up against, especially when we've already eliminated the fear. Knowing the facts doesn't change our faith in God, but we need to know what we're up against. And so it's okay to know so that you know where you're stepping into. 
And number five, we need to eliminate the word impossible. Gideon was facing impossible odds. And even though we know the facts, we believe that with God, anything can happen. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what do I believe? See, as you respond to the call, you're gonna face this question because there will be a moment or there will be moments of truth where you have to say, I believe in the call and I believe in God. God will fill in the gaps. God used Gideon and he will use me too. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this point. I thank you for this time when we can open your word. I am so grateful that in your all-knowing wisdom, you included the story of Gideon in here for us to be able to see, for us to be able to look back on, for us to recognize that, um, that, that you take below average people You let them see you come face to face with you and as a result of it, they're changed and as a result of their change and their trust and faith in you that they are able to follow after your call for their life. And in this case, Gideon had a massive call. But God, you also call each of us individually as your disciples that follow after you and you gave us a, 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 a purpose and you gave us a mission to go into the whole world baptizing those in your name and teaching them to obey all that you've taught us. And God, we have a great call in our life. And individually, we have a great call in our life to take this message, to take this gospel message into the places where you have called us to be your ambassador. And yet, somehow, we're still living in the distractions. We have these things that are, that are, that are causing us to be double-minded, that are causing us to be split, that we have these other things that we're sacrificing our time and our talents and our money and everything to and, and leaving the call and the purpose that you've given in on our lives. And so, God, I pray against that today for us as a church. I pray that against that for each of us here. I pray, God, that we would eliminate distractions so that we can hear your call on our life and that we would stop with the excuses, that we would let go of the fear, that we would recognize the things that are in our place, but that we would trust you for the impossible because we know who you are. God, solidify that in our hearts today. Let us follow after you wholeheartedly. Let us be a part of the mission that you've called us to and let us step into the battle and not ignore that it's going on, but to step into it. Thank you for giving us this role to be your ambassadors. You are making your cry through us and we get to be the ones to see others go face to face with Jesus. And their life was one way and now their life is different. And because of that, we celebrate and we worship like Gideon did when he recognized who you were. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. We trust you with this week. We love you, God. Amen. Hey, that concludes our services today. So glad you guys were joining with us this week. Can't wait to see how God uses our church. Love you guys. See you next week.